Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. And don't forget, if you have questions, feel free to send them in uh, at info at grove.church, or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Marysville and Snohomish, Washington, uh, and we'd love for you to take time to send in those questions to us, because we'd love to answer those as much as we can. All right, so this week we are hitting the second part of yes. Romans, and by that we mean chapters 8 through 16. Really, and we could be honest, we could probably take a month to two months on this book alone, so... If we were to actually break it down a little differently. So. Oh yeah, Romans but, is Romans is a dense book in the best of ways. I think we mentioned last week someone's done a series for like two years through the Book of Romans mm-hmm. as a church, which is just insane. Um, but it just shows you the depth of the book, and uh, it's really it really has been. I hope you've enjoyed reading it uh, as we, you've kind of worked through it in the reading plan. If you're reading along with us, um, if you haven't, you're just kind of being introduced to the book a bit. So you're welcome for that. There you go. Uh, and I should really quick specify, it's Romans 9 through 16 is what we're covering today. Yes. Not 8 through 16. Yes. Last week was 1 through 8. Yes. So. Don't, don't mess that part up. So, um, yeah. So, I'm actually going to take the lead this week because uh, Evan really doesn't know what he's talking about. We came to that conclusion last week. It's no, true. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I uh, just worked through the outline to finish up the book, uh, The Study of Romans. Uh, and so, there's a couple of resources we always try and use, uh, a study Bible of some sorts. Evan's is, is big on the ESV. Uh, I call it the Evan Standard Version, uh, but it really is the English Standard Version. Great translation. Uh, And it is a really, really solid translation. Uh, I've been reading the, uh, what is it, the Christian Standard Bible recently. Uh, And so that's going to be some of the scripture I read today uh, is the CSB. Um, but we use that study Bible, the ESV, as well as a book that uh, I had from college uh, called Encountering the Book of Romans uh, by Douglas J. Moo. Uh, and so no. I just think Moo is funny. So um, just to kind of jump in and recap what we talked about the introing the book last week, uh, just remember it's a book written by obviously Paul uh, in AD 57. Uh, at the time, Paul had not yet been to Rome, uh, but his anticipation was to come to Rome and he kind of wrote a systematic approach. He, this We call this like this Paul's systematic theology of the gospel uh, for the Roman population. And so that's kind of the audience he's writing to. His heartbeat behind it is to kind of present the gospel uh, in, in such a way that is clear, compelling, um, as well as deep and challenging. And so we see that, uh, we saw that in the first eight chapters, uh, and then we see that, we'll see that in the next, uh, I guess, eight chapters, if you will, eight, nine to 16, that's eight, right? Yeah, it's eight. And eight. Um, so yeah, so we jump into chapter nine here, uh, and I just kind of broke it down in three different sections. You'll see uh, Israel, how the Israel in the gospel, how it impacts, Paul takes a shift out of the first eight chapters and addresses Israel specifically uh, in the in the next couple chapters in verses nine, or actually chapter nine through eleven. Uh, you see, this is kind of the focus is how Israel and the gospel kind of coexist together. Um, and and it's the interesting thing is it's not the focus is not entirely on Israel. Uh, it's addressed to Israel, but the main topic is this idea of the integrity of God, uh, where where Paul really sets up this conversation uh, of God specifically. Uh, how he does what he says he'll do. He's faithful. He's uh, a very high character. His integrity is bar none. No one can compare to it. Um, But he's talking directly about how that impacts and comes and interacts with the people of Israel specifically. Um, It's interesting also that Paul had written uh, Romans uh, in a time when the early church was made up of many Gentiles and very few Jews, um, which I hadn't actually thought about that before. Well, I guess particularly in an an area where... 
that would be the case. Yeah, coming into Rome, that's who he was writing to. Um, and so it was just interesting because I hadn't even thought about that. And it's funny because like one of the thoughts that was statements that was made in this book by uh, Mr. Moo was that classic uh, Doug. We yeah, thanks Douglas. Um, was that we're kind of accustomed to that today. Uh, for many of us, we live in different places where there's not a very large Jewish population uh, in regards to the church and the Christian church. Uh, and, and so it's not really a surprise or shock, but this is actually one of the biggest theological challenges uh, and issues of the early church is the, the Jewish versus Gentile, uh, I would say, tension and collision. Yeah. Um, because the gospel was and is for all people. Uh, and so Paul is literally writing uh, in this uh, section specifically in chapters 9 through 11 to tackle this one tension and address this conversation. Um, we see if we were to further break down this section 9 to 1 to 29, you see about Israel's unbelief in God. Um, you see in 9, 30 to 10, 21, Israel is responsible for its blindness. They, they are themselves responsible for it. Uh, and then the last chapter, chapter there, verse, chapter 11 in this section, um, the, the grace that is so sufficient, Israel's rejection is not final. Uh, and I think that that's kind of in the midst of their blindness and rejection. It, it's pretty remarkable to see that. Um, well, it's funny because it kind of echoes the prophetic books where mm-hmm, absolutely, they, yeah, they, it's, it's this big, long thing about how Israel has failed, but then at the very end, it always ends with hope. Yep. And so Paul kind of does the same thing there. Yeah, which is really cool. Um, the one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I, I remember as a, as a, I don't know, high school, college kid, um, before I actually went away to college, there's a passage of Romans that I read through a, a kind of a pseudo internship I was doing with my youth pastor. Um, and But there was a, the passage there was Romans 9, 1 through 3. Um, and this is pretty remarkable. This is not uh, normal because sometimes you can read this passage in this section verse in chapters 9 through 11 and, and almost feel like Paul is like against Jewish people. He's against the Jewish re- response. He's you almost feel this tension where he's constantly coming at his his Jewish people. He himself is Jewish. Um, but he says this in chapter 9, 1 through 3. I want to read this. Again, this is the CSB. This is the version I prefer to read right now. Uh, and since I wrote the notes, I get to d- dictate. The, oh, dang. So you're welcome, Evan. But it says this. I speak the truth. This is the words of Paul. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. And the the people he's talking about is the Jewish population. It are the Jews that he himself is associated with. We see, I think it's in, you can correct me, I think it's in Corinthians where he lists out, this is who I am. I'm a a Jew that no one else can attain to. Like he kind of in Mm -hmm. essence boasts about the things that he himself can boast in, but he identifies with his people. And this passage here just reveals the depth. It reveals the, the passion and conviction he has for his people to respond to the gospel as he has experienced the gospel and the transforming power, which we'll get into in, in later in the section. Um, but it just is a, is a thought provoking, as Paul would say, like, I wish myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my people, benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. And you, so you see that he's, he's setting himself up to communicate, I am all for you and I want the best for you, even though I'm coming at you pretty harshly. Um, we see in verses, uh, you know, verses nine through thirty, where we see about this idea where Israel is responsible um, for its own blindness. He says this in verses thirty to thirty-three: What should we say then, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have, have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? 
because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. It's this whole picture. And we, I mean, how many times have I heard it throughout my life growing up? Don't be a stumbling block to your brothers and sisters. It's this, mm-hmm. it's this picture where his people, the Jewish people have rejected and stumbled over the gospel of Jesus because it's not by works, it's by faith. That's why Gentiles are being welcomed into the family of God and the Jewish people are having a hard time being welcomed in because they are focusing on the works uh, and what they should do because they grew up understanding and obeying the law. Uh, and Paul's tension is you're because you're forsaking faith, because you're not doing this by faith following Christ and walking out that faith, you're you're missing it. And that's why the, that's why he says that you're responsible for your blindness because you're focusing on the works. Well, I think that's it's an important callback too to last week what we talked about in Romans a little bit where um, Paul contrasts the salvation of Abraham where yeah. Abraham was not saved by works. Um, because if you just kind of look look at his life, like there was nothing special about Abraham. God just kind of picked him. Um, and so he's talking to the Jews today who are like, well, hold on, these Gentiles aren't doing anything for their salvation. They're mm-hmm. just like having it by faith. And so Paul is reminding them like, hey, that's, that's your story too. Like yeah. you may have forgotten it, but the story of Israel is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not deserve salvation, yeah. but that they had faith that God would deliver it to them. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I mean, it's funny because I remember studying the book of Romans in college and I remember like these three chapters, 9, 10, 11 are, are very, very thought provoking and deep because Paul takes that sidestep to address his people specifically. Um, and then he says this in chapter 11, you, you'll catch that he just talks about the idea that like, rejection is not eternal. Like there's still hope for you. Um, and it, just to read the first two chapters of verse 11, and then we can move on. But it says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Question mark. Absolutely not with an exclamation point. I love it when I see this um, because it's just, it's imperative. It's, it's such by a, no means. Yeah. By says, no means. He says yeah. other times. Um, but he's absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what scripture has says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel. Uh, and that alludes to, uh, you know, he kind of breaks that down a little bit more in the, in the chapter, but it just is this picture of like, God has not rejected you. Even though you've walked in, in this works mentality, God has not rejected you. Uh, and so he provides hope there. And and out of that, he kind of wraps up that section and then shifts back into, or the, the, not shifts back into, but shifts into this idea that the transforming power of the gospel. We see this in 12, chapter 12, one to 15, 13. It's the bulk of the, the rest of the book. Um, and we could spend so much time here. And so I'm just going to kind of quickly curse through it. Um, but it's just this idea. Another, ch- another heading I saw is like this exhortations about Christian life. Uh, and what does that actually look like? And we see several different breakdowns and passages here. Uh, one that's pretty famous and pretty well known. I mean, I've, I think I've heard it preached on a ton of times in my, in my childhood, in my life, because I've been a Christian most of my life. Um, but in, in chapter t- Romans chapter 12, verses 1-2, it's this idea of a living sacrifice. Uh, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Uh, and it's a very well-known passage. I think I've preached on it a dozen times or so in my lifetime. But um, the interesting thing is, it, it is this heading over this entire section. It is this picture that Paul is now presenting 
not just to offer your bodies, but this is the transforming power that exists in the gospel for everyone's life and living. And so we'll see this through out the rest of the chapter, throughout the rest of the section where you see spiritual gifts in the body of Christ and, you know, the next few verses. And then we see this idea of Christians versus non-Christians and what does that look like and how is the gospel transformed Christians and how can it transform and, and translate to those who are not followers of Christ yet. Um, the one thing I want to, I want to, it's funny if total letting you into the curtain a little bit, we've probably talked about this before, but if you were to sit here with Evan and I, before we record the podcast, we always have something we talk about. Even the days it's like we're, our schedules are just slammed. It's like, okay, we can't, we can't kind of shoot the breeze. We got, we got to kind of be quick. We still talk just record, right? Oh, we always, there's never a time that Evan and I don't talk about something, um, unless I'm really grumpy or he's pressed for time. But, um, we were just talking about just some different realities of our, you know, I guess socio-political world that we live in. Yeah. Um, I think that's the right way to say it for now. But um, there's this interesting passage that exists in um, Romans 13, 1 through 7. And it's the, the heading that I gave it that came from the book from Douglas Moo is this idea that a believer's obligation to the state. In other words, the governing authorities, the world that they live in, there's an obligation that we have as Christians to honor and and submit to the authorities that exist in government. Uh, and so I want to read this passage of seven verses. Um, and so then I'll, I just have a couple thoughts that just challenge us and remind us. The thing is, I'll tell you this, that there's so many open-ended conversations that exist in this one passage alone. But I think what Paul is trying to get at is important to understand, especially in today's society, uh, because it is very polarizing. There is very a very, very clear line that exists um, and whether I lean liberal or I lean conservative, that doesn't matter. What matters is am I, am I understanding what Paul is reminding us about authority uh, and what we should submit to and how we should submit to it. But it says this, um, and I'll let Evan jump into because he's him and I, we've had some good conversations. Um, we agree on everything. We're just it's like either, perfect pairs. It's either politics or fantasy football. Is yeah, what we that's true. That's before. pretty much it. Um, and maybe, you know, next year it'll, we'll add another thing to the wrinkle, but there it, it just, oftentimes it's about relevant topics in our lives, which is sometimes fantasy football or in the world that we know, which is often where the politics come in or um, some big mandate that's existing or something coming up in Washington state. Anyways, uh, but this is what Romans says, 13, 1 through 7. It says, let everyone, to sub- let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, th- the one who resi- resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, b- but to bad. Do you, uh, do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of the wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continue attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those who owe taxes, tolls to those who owe tolls. Respect those who owe respect. You owe respect and honor those you owe honor. And here's the thing. We can go round and round about different conversations about this passage. And I'm telling you, it's not a very, it's not clear cut. It's not, this is it, final, package it up and send it out. Mm-hmm. But there is something specific about that Paul's addressing to us as believers in, resp- in our response to authority. 
and specifically a governing authority. And there's two reasons what Paul gives us. The first is that God ordains the authority, period. It's God who ordains authority. Now, it doesn't say that whoever's in office is God's chosen instrument, but God uses that individual with the authority he's been given and the position he's been given. And whether it's a local, a state, or, or nation, or national government, whatever that looks like, the authority God has put in place, and it's so we're, we're, we're called to honor him and how we honor our governing authorities. The other thing, too, is... He also tells us, Paul, which is pretty practical, they have the right to punish those who do evil and do not submit. <laughs> like, that's a practical thing. Like, if I speed, a police officer has the right to pull me over and give me a ticket because I'm breaking the law. If the speed limit is 60 and I'm going 70, which total transparency I do, um, not often, but probably more 69, well, like my, 68, 69. My inner Ron Swanson is just being triggered right now. But Good. <laughs> You're pretty much the the new age Ron Swanson. But um, but they have the right to punish and and to punish evil and those who don't submit. They have the right for that. And mm -hmm. that's part of the authority they're given. Just like as a parent, I have the right to discipline my child when they talk out of place or they have a wrong tone or they just disobey. I have a right to, I have a right to punish them. Give Gideon the back of your hand. I get it. I actually wouldn't paddle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I was spanked as a kid. I don't have anything wrong with spanking. I have not yet spanked my kids. Um, I have slapped their hands and things like that. I slapped yeah. a helmet once because my son was trying to hit someone with the helmet with the, on his head. <clears throat> so I slapped his helmet and he looked at me with tears like, oh, like that hurts. Anyways, but as a parent, I have the right to. But the reality is that Paul is addressing is God has given authority. We're called to honor him, period. And the way that we honor him is by recognizing the authority and the government in my place. And this, and I'm going to say this, and Evan, you probably if you knew I was going to say this, you might tell me not to say it, but we'll find out. Um, my issue is at times as is, is when I find fellow Christians, fellow believers make statements that are polarizing and, and how do I say it? Are, are, are sound bites of other people saying it. Sure. When I've heard the statement and here's the thing, I'm going to qualify this. I'm not saying I totally support our president in the sense of who he is. But when you we have people when I follow Christians that say not my president, I don't like I. There's something inside of me that I'm just like, I just don't agree with that. Whether or not I agree with the man, whether he's immoral or not, with, pre like, with President Trump and President Obama, like both yeah, of them, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And over the last what twelve years almost, even, it's been even this getting statement. different sides of Christians saying this it. is this is it, it's. I look at a, a passage like Romans 13, which is why I want to say it, because in some respects I don't just want to candy coat the scripture. I want to bring tension and challenge because that's what scripture should do in our lives. Where am I not upholding the standard God has asked me to uphold? Now, here's the thing. Do I, do I have issues with the previous administration, the administration now? The pre yes, absolutely. There's things I don't always agree with, but I owe him honor because of the position he's in. Yeah. As, a, as an American, I owe him honor. As a Christian, it's my job and my obligation to honor the authority that God has placed in position. Well, see, that's where I would even change what you just said is that as a Christian, you owe him honor. Um, you owe you owe you owe the authorities in your life honor because that is what God commands. Um, which is yeah, it's a hard thing to wrestle with because I think it it actually goes against American culture because yeah. American culture is very much like, um, and 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 there's 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 some, there's a certain amount of uh, of beauty behind it, which is basically like well like they're no better than I am, they don't deserve my respect or whatever it is, and so like it's funny that in that sense. Um, the idea of like just kind of giving honor across the board to people who are in authority is a little bit – it's a little bit yeah. un-American and it's more Christian. That's true. Um, but even thinking about like the context to which Paul is writing this in is 
he's writing this um, to Christians who are being actively oppressed yeah. by the government, which um, which we're not really. So no, but that adds more fire to the fact, like yeah, so <laughs> his statement to honor the authority, and and that's what I that's what I think is so interesting is that. And it, it kind of goes back to, um, I, I think it was when we were talking about Corinthians, we had this discussion, but basically, how do you represent the church? And, I, and I'm reading into this a little bit, but yeah. I, I don't think I'm wrong. Um, I think a lot of this idea of respect the authority of the government is basically this idea of don't make Christians look bad. Don't make Christians look bad to the government. Don't make the church look bad to the government or to people. And because obviously there is there is a line. Because ultimately the church is representing Christ. That's why. Yeah. Not because the church wants to have a good reputation, but because the church represents Christ. Christians represent Christ. Right. Period. And and there's obviously a line that's kind of implied um, in this whole section because again, if the government says you cannot talk about you you cannot preach Christ anymore, well, obviously yes, that's not. And, and that was that, the other side of the conversation. Yeah. Like, there's a certain point where we don't. We don't adhere to what the government mandates because it it's, it's, it goes against completely what scripture mandates. Mm-hmm. Scripture is our highest authority. And if that's the case, then then this passage in scripture should be have some authority in how we respond to the government. Yeah. Like, and I, 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 it's, it's funny because I, I didn't expect it to go down this road, but I was, I was, welcome. I was listening to a, a pastor speak. The reins. <laughs> I was listening to a pastor speak about parenting. And one of the things he said is that what he what he and his wife try really hard to do is to say yes as often as they can. Mm. And so like if they're if they're if he's really tired and his son wants to wrestle, he's he's gonna say yes. Or if he's really like, you know, all those different things, right? And he said, the reason I do that, or the reason we do that is because when we say no, we want our kids to understand that it's that there's a good reason why we said no. Interesting. Um, and I think not that we're like the parents of the government, yeah. but it's kind of the idea of like, say yes, we honor and we submit to authority as often as we can so that in those very rare instances where we have to say no, um, it's not like, oh, those Christians always just rebelling against the yeah. government. It's like, no, like it actually would make them pause and think like, oh, maybe we've overstepped or something yeah. like that. Maybe and, we've missed something. And or... again, I think those instances are incredibly rare because yeah. we're, we're lucky to live in a country that does not actively oppress the yeah, church. Absolutely. Unlike, Praise uh, God. unlike the church of Rome at this time. Yeah. So Yeah. And, and here's the deal. Like, I, I don't think we need to spend a ton more time on this, but I just, th- I think it's important. And, and this is one of the things that I, I thought was a good reminder. Um, the place that they... God has put governing authorities are rightly under God as those placed over us. Like mm-hmm. the supreme authority is already said a scripture, but even more beyond that, it's God himself. And he reveals himself in scripture. Um, but the reality is, is there is no, there's no authority higher than God. God is sovereign. God is supreme. We just did a big study through the book of Colossians and talked about the supremacy of Christ. But it's interesting to me how quick we are to dismiss something and to jump on a bandwagon because we, don't agree. And it's okay not to agree. That is a very American thing. And, and I appreciate you having providing that clarity because as a Christian, I don't have to agree with everything a president or a, a governor or a, a state local mayor or whatever that looks like stands for, but it's still my job to honor. It's still my job to respect first and foremost, because he's creating God's image mm-hmm. and how easy it is to dismiss something because we don't agree with him. And that's, that's the tension I feel. And that's the world I live in right now. Um, and which is why as I'm reading through this path, I'm like, I can't skip this passage and I'd rather lean into the tension uh, sure. because here's the thing. I think some of, some of my, you know, conservative listeners today, some of our conservative would, would totally agree with me. Some of our liberal li- listeners will totally agree with me if they get rid of, get past the conservative tone. Um, I'm not, I'm not conservative. I'm not liberal. 
I'm, I'm a Christian first and I, and I vote my values and I prayerfully vote as an American because that's my responsibility and duty as an American, but I'm a Christian first. And so um, I just think it's an interesting tension that Paul addresses. Um, and there's so much more to that context and even that he was addressing with the Roman population and Christian audience. So, Well, this is a total side note, not in Romans, but I guess <clears throat> just something I want to say is that, you know, be very careful that um, when people think of you, do they think of your political affiliation first or do they think of your spiritual affiliation first? Um, and that just might be, that just might be a word of conviction for some people that be, be known by the fact that um, you're a child of God, not that you're a member of a political party. Anyway, well said. Moving, moving forward. Continues through the rest of the section, talks about Christians' motivations in chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. He addresses the strong and the weak in chapter 14. In essence, the entirety of chapter 14 and then into chapter 15. He just talks about this idea um, that he, the strong versus the weak Christian. And this is interesting because he takes um, this, there's a specific problem that was plaguing the Roman church. And that was this dispute between the Jewish and Gentile believers over the importance of Old Testament law. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and so what he does is he takes the next chapter and a half ish and talks about this dissension issue, this unity issue. And he talks about the strong and the weak. And it's really important, I think, for us as Christians to remember this passage and to reread it if you, cause I'm pretty sure I haven't checked the reading plan, but I think you've already read it. Um, but I think it's important to remember that we're not, we're not held to our, our behaviors according to a custom. We're held to a standard of grace and truth. And so um, I love that he, ta- he he pauses to really specifically address this problem uh, that exists in the Roman church that I would even say exists in our church today. Uh, and that's kind of the wrap up of that main section. He shifts from that point into the conclusion of Romans, uh, where just like he does almost in every letter he writes, he talks about his missionary ambitions. This is where I want to go. This is mm-hmm. what I hope. I hope to come see you. I hope to come spend time with you. Uh, then he gives personal greetings. And it's interesting because I never thought about I I thought about this years ago, but I didn't think about it until recently again when we were working through the book of Colossians, wrapping it up. Um, we did a six-week study this summer on it. And we we bit off more than we could chew to try and crank out in six weeks. So we kind of cheated and pushed half of uh, chapter three into the final week. Mm-hmm. And so it caused us to kind of glance over the greetings, the personal greetings and the people he calls and, and celebrates and highlights and t- what, Titicus? Tychicus. Tychicus, however you say his name. Onesimus was in there too. Um, Onesimus was another one. But the, and, and Pastor Nick said this in the, in the discipleship Zoom meeting. He said, to go back and trace the lineage and trace the story and the guy, like of these individuals is pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and, I, and I hadn't thought about this, but some of the people that Paul celebrated in Colossians, he, and I'm saying this for a reason, Tychicus especially, t- is it Tych or Tych? Anyways, anyway. <laughs> um, but literally all the things that Paul endured, most of the times he was, he had companions with him. So they endured just as much, but they didn't get any spotlight, any fame, anything to think about. Um, and so someone like a Titicus, he, he endured the same hardships for the most part in some of the, Paul's missionary journeys that Paul himself dealt with. Mm-hmm. And, and yet he doesn't have, his name is not well known. Um, and so there's, there's something valuable about these personal greetings and the people that have accompanied Paul and that are sitting there with him. Hey, so-and-so greet you and so-and-so greet you. And, um, those are pretty valuable things that sometimes it's easy to glance over. Um, and it's, it's, it's a much bigger conversation. Well, and it is cool too, just to even like put the names together mm-hmm. because there's, um, 
We mentioned it at the end of Colossians, but Onesimus is the one who is in the group carrying the letter to the Colossians. Um, and so, but if you if you remember, if that name sounds familiar to you, it's because um, Philemon. Yeah, he's the subject of Philemon. He's a slave that ran away, um, who is now going back, having been converted to Christianity by Paul. Um, to essentially be received as a brother in Christ by Philemon. And so he's carrying in one hand- And still potentially going to be a slave. Yeah. And so he's, he's carrying in one hand um, a letter talking about his freedom in Christ, which is Colossians. And in another hand, he's carrying a letter specifically to and Philemon- to master. Yep. Asking for, um, asking for his physical freedom and to be received as a brother in Christ. So it is, it is really interesting. And you, it's one of those things where it's never explicitly said, but when you look at the names of who's there, you're like, oh- that's a really yeah. cool connection. So, 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 and so Paul does this typical fashion. He so-and-so greets you. So, and those, that's just people that he's been on journey with. He's been on a mission with. Um, so you see that in, in the bulk of chapter 16 there. And then finally, um, Paul typically does this, um, not always at the end. Sometimes it's kind of right smack dab in the middle or he takes moments of prayer. Um, but then he, he kind of has this closing benediction that I'm going to read because I think it's a fitting way to end uh, the work through of, of Romans chapter 16. Um, but he says this, this is Paul, his benediction at the end of his systematic theology to the Roman population. So they understand the gospel, its power, it's, it's, it's uh, personal uh, in their in, what is the word I'm looking for? I can't even think about it now. Um, but Paul wraps up his entire approach, his entire message with this statement. Uh, it says this, now to him who is able to strengthen you accordingly to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. A quick side note, I love that he refers to it as a mystery. He talks about the mystery all throughout the book of Romans and it's this idea of the gospel, which was Jesus Christ come to die and rose again, was hidden for ages. And it doesn't always make sense, uh, but he refers to it as a mystery because it is something that was once hidden, but now has been revealed. Um, so he's, so when he talks about the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed, he is, this is something very Pauline, um, made, made known through the prophetic scriptures continues on, says this, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, the only wise God through Jesus Christ to him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And that's, and that's how Paul wraps up. He, he refocuses, um, not that he's took a lot of attention away from, but he just, Rehits the fact that the gospel is for all people. It is a, a widely Gentile audience he's writing to, but at the same time, he's bringing in the Jewish audience with him, so they understand the power of the gospel, which is by which is through grace by faith that they now can live according to uh, the reality of that as well. And so. That's kind of the nut, the wrap up of our Romans study. I, I wish we could do a lot more deep dives. Um, and, but at the end of the day, uh, it is a very deep, wide, incredible book um, that you should spend a lot of time reading through. So. There you go. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap it up for this week. Uh, just a quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources and podcasts on our website at grove.church. And while you're there, uh, just do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. It just helps get the podcast out there to more people and grow this community of reading the Bible together. Have a great week, everyone.